Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Kevin Cross, an old Greek proverb that goes like this. A society grows great when old men plant trees whose shade they know they will never sit in. And when I saw that, I just paused for a moment and did a double take, because it's such a beautiful image, isn't it? I'm picturing this uh, old guy stooping down, putting this seed in the ground, and he knows it'll be decades before people can enjoy it, before people can appreciate the benefit of what he's doing. And by the time that happens, he knows he'll be long gone. But he does it anyway. Because he cares to leave something good behind. He wants to leave something beautiful after he's gone. When I heard that proverb, it reminded me of my granddad. My granddad passed away a few years ago. But I remember in his retirement, as he was an old guy, he would spend hours and hours on his garden. And he created this beautiful garden around the back of his house, around the front of his house. They also had kind of the plot of land kind of at the top of a cul-de-sac. He did all of that. He spent hours on it. It looks amazing. And he's gone, but every time I go up that cul-de-sac, I still see it, and I enjoy what he worked hard for. He left something behind after he was gone. Uh, Here at CCM Fallowfield, we've been doing a series of sermons looking at an Old Testament character, one of the best Old Testament characters, in my opinion, a guy called King David. And we've been looking at different lessons from his life. We've called it Ten Rules for Life. And today's rule, uh, number seven in our series, is this. Leave something good when you're gone. Leave something good when you're gone. That's what I want to talk about today. In the late 19th century, there were two brothers who lived in Paris. One of them uh, was called Ludwig Nobel and his brother Alfred Nobel. Uh, Alfred Nobel's the one uh, who's most famous. He, amongst other things, was the inventor of dynamite, which was uh, quite a revolution in how to kill people in the 19th century. And... One day in 1888, Ludwig Nobel passed away, and one of the newspapers in Paris got a hold of the story, except they'd got the wrong end of the stick. They thought it was Alfred Nobel who had died. So front page of the newspaper, they did this big obituary to Alfred Nobel, who must have had a quite disconcerting experience one morning of getting up and having his breakfast, reading his newspaper to find out that he was dead. And... (laughs) to find out how the newspaper would report his death. And the headline said this, the merchant of death is dead. And then there was this story about a guy who'd grown really rich and uh, having this luxurious life based on developing new ways to mutilate and kill other people. He was reading this about himself, and he was struck to the core that, whoa, this is the legacy that I'd be leaving behind. This is what people would look back on my life and think, if I died today, this is all that would be known of me. I'm the merchant of death. And that thought caused him to change his life. It pivoted him onto a new direction. And amongst other things that he then did, he he started the Nobel Peace Prize, and he gave his life for something else, such that when he did die years later, merchant of death was not his title. That's not his primary legacy anymore. You see, that moment made him just think about what is it that I'm going to leave behind when I'm gone? And that shaped how he lived while he was here. 
So my question for you this evening is what legacy are you going to leave behind when you're gone? Now, you might be thinking, hang on, Tom, like, I'm, I'm like 19 years old. I'm not, I'm not planning on dying for another 70 years. Do I, do I need to think about this just yet? Well, I'm not only talking about when you die, actually. I, I, leave something good when you're gone isn't only end of life. We're in all different settings for different amounts of time. So many of you, you're, you're in a house share situation. You've signed a contract that will take you up till June. So you know that you've got what? nine months or so with a certain group of people and then you'll all move on, you'll go and live somewhere else. That's how it is. Well, what do you want to do with that nine months? What do you want to leave behind with those people when you move on? Some of you have signed up for courses of study. You've signed up to be three or four years at a particular college or university. Well, what do you want to leave behind when you're gone? You might be on a grad scheme that you know you're doing for two years and then you'll be applying for another job. All right, what do you want to leave behind when you're gone? Now, some of you uh, are in Manchester for a set period of time, and we're all praying that you grow to love the city and want to stay here forever. That's our, our goal for you. But let's say that's not the case. Let's say God calls you maybe to a different part of the city or a different part of the world, and you know that you'll be around here for three years, five years, ten years, whatever it may be. Well, what do you want to do while you're here, and how do you want to leave it different and better when you're gone? And then... Of course, there is the, the, the big part of it. The, you've got your three score years and ten, or however long you'll be on the planet for. What do you want to leave behind when you're gone? Well, let's dip into David's story. And if you've got a Bible, turn into 2 Samuel, chapter 7. And I just want to read the first two verses of the chapter now to find out what David's desire was. It says this. Now, when the king lived in his house... And the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. So David's looking around and he's thinking, we've got a bit of a problem here. So what I want to do is build a temple. That's David's desire, is building a temple. And He says it's for the ark of God. And if you were around last week, you'd have heard uh, Abby do a great job of explaining what this ark of God was. It was essentially uh, a big old box in which they kept some of the most sacred objects from the history of the people of God. So, for example, they had the, the actual stone tablets on which the Ten Commandments had first been written by God's own hand. They had manna from heaven, the food that God had miraculously provided. And they had Aaron's staff, which had miraculously budded. All these symbols of God working in the history of his people. And they kept them in this box. And it came to symbolize for the people the very presence of God himself. But actually it was a little bit more than a symbol. It was more than just they look at it and be reminded of God's presence. It's like God's presence was actually there. Where where this ark was, where this box was. It's like God is somehow present here in a way that's deeper, that's more palpable, that's just more tangible than God's presence in other places. Now, this ark had been constructed uh, a few hundred years before the time of David. And uh, it it was the days of Moses. The people had been brought out of slavery. And they were going on this journey to freedom. And God was directing them by day and by night. There was a big cloud directing them in the day and a fire directing them 
in the night. So they were always on the move. And when you're people on the move, a tent is quite fit for purpose as a place to keep the Ark of the Covenant. Because you know, all right, we're going to set camp here, and we want a place right in the middle of the people where God's presence is. And there's something important about as a people, God's presence is in the midst of us. But we know that tomorrow or next week or whatever it is, we'll be moving on from here. We need to be mobile. We need to be able to go to the next place. It makes sense for it to be a tent so they can pack it up, move to the next place, set it up again. While you're on a journey, that's absolutely fit for purpose. But by David's day, it's not really fit for purpose anymore because now they've been living in this land for hundreds of years. God's given it to them. They've got peace from their enemies and people have started building lives in this place. They've built houses for themselves and uh, garages and extensions and their houses are looking pretty nice and they're setting up businesses, there's shops, there's takeaways, there's pubs, there's all sorts of cool stuff going on. City walls, they've been doing all this stuff and you'd walk through the city thinking this is a really nice place Except one building looks a little bit out of place, which is this kind of shabby tent that's still there from hundreds of years earlier. And so David's thinking, hang on, this isn't right. If this is the place of the presence of God, and it's the least good building in the city, that's not on, is it? And I I think about all that I've done on my own house and all these uh, cedar paneling and everything that I've got. Surely we need a better building for God's presence to be in. That was David's plan. That was his desire. That's what he wanted to leave behind. So he gets his mate Nathan, and Nathan was a prophet, and David just outlines this to him, and he says, this is what I want to do, and Nathan's nodding along. He says, David, I think this is a great idea, and you should go for it. But then that night, Nathan's woken up um, by, by God, and God speaks to Nathan and says, actually, tell David that he's not going to be the one to do it. And I'll just read the verses, uh, how Nathan relays this. We jump into verse 12 now and 13. So Nathan's passing on the message to David. It says this. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. And I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So God's not saying to David, this is a terrible idea, what you're thinking. He's saying, this is a good idea. This is something that I do want to see happen, but it's not going to be you, David. And the reason for that is David had been a man of war. He'd been involved in a lot of bloody conflicts. There'd been violence in his life. He had blood on his hands. So God said, let's have your son be the one to create this temple for me. So David needs to pass this dream on to the generation after him. And we're going to spend a bit of time looking at how he did that. But before we do, I just want to pause on the actual what. What is David's dream here? Because, you know, if you were to rank all the different things that you might want to leave behind after you're gone and make a league table, best to worst legacies to leave, David's is absolutely top of the league and I don't think we instantly get that because we hear it and we think well he wants to make a building and you know I'm sure it's a nice building and I'm sure people could go in the city and enjoy the architecture but is it really that good a legacy other people have made nice buildings and good things to look at 
before. But for David, it wasn't about a building primarily. It was about a place of the presence of God. It was about a place that people could go that was easy, that could facilitate the people of that day meeting the actual presence of God himself. And he wanted to make that as user-friendly as possible, let's say. Now, we're in a different time. We're not living in David's day. And thank goodness we don't have to go to a specific building in a specific city if we want to experience the presence of God. Because of what Jesus has done, we're the other side of the cross and the resurrection. The presence of God can be with us anywhere, wherever we are. Let me just bridge the gap from David's day to today. So what happened in David's day, as we've said, the the tent had the presence of God in it. It had a few different bits of the tent, the outer courts, then an inner court, and then an inner inner court, which was the holy place, and God's presence was there. But a few hundred years after David's day, uh, an enemy army came and they, they trashed the city, they knocked down all the good buildings, they took the people into exile, they destroyed the temple. When the people came back into the land, they thought, oh, it's fine, we'll just build another temple and everything will be great. They built another temple, but this time, God's presence did not come into this building. So it was just then a building, a nice building for sure, but it was just a religious building. And then... For hundreds of years, people were grieving and people were frustrated and people were wondering, how is it then, if God's presence isn't with us, how can we meet with God? We'd love to be in the presence of God, but we don't know where. How can we do this? And that brings us to the time of Jesus. We read the prologue to John's Gospel. It says the word, that's uh, the, the very kind of divine being, the word who was with God and who was God, became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. And it's, it's saying that the presence of God is now in a person, and he's going on tour. And as Jesus went to different towns and villages, it's like the presence of God was showing up with him in different places. So no wonder the crowds were, were kind of flocking to him, because finally, after hundreds of years of waiting, here's God's presence. But then he said to his disciples, actually, it would be better for you if I go away. And he was talking about his death, resurrection, and then ascending back to heaven. And he said, it's better for you if I'm not walking on the earth with you. It's better if I go, because then I'll give you the Holy Spirit. And then rather than the presence of God just being where this one man has gone, the presence of God can be with each and every follower of Jesus all the time. And on the day of Pentecost, Jesus fulfilled it, and he poured out his Holy Spirit upon his church. Ephesians chapter 2 Verse 22 says, of the church, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So when we're talking about a temple, if we fast forward to today, what is a temple? Today is us. It's the people of God. Where does the presence of God dwell? It's not a building in Jerusalem. It's not even a nice building in Manchester. It's the people of God. It's God dwelling with you in your heart. It's God dwelling with us as we gather together. So what would be the equivalent for us of David's dream? It would be this, that we get to experience God's presence. That's what he would want, and that's what I long for. Is that what you long for, that you meet with God's presence? In this time we've got together, isn't the number one thing we want to see happen, that each and every one of us meets with the presence of God 
himself. And as we're thinking about each other and praying for each other, aren't we praying that we would meet with God? You know, part of my Saturday evening routine that I do uh, every week is I, I, I prayer walk and if I'm preaching I, I'm thinking about what I'm going to bring and I'm praying about it and if I'm not preaching I'm still praying for those who are and the, the thing that I keep coming back to every Saturday when I'm praying for the Sunday meeting is this God would there be a sense of your presence in a tangible way would we know that you're meeting with us that we're not just going through motions it's not just a human gathering would we experience you that's the prayer and then I think beyond the church, I think about our city. You know, a few weeks ago, I was up by the print works. You know those kind of stone step things that people sit? And I, I was sitting on those, and I was watching people go by, and different groups of people doing different things. There were groups shopping. There were families together. There were some people I could hear arguments. You know, there were some people who were drinking. There were all, all sorts going on. And I was just thinking, you know what this city needs needs to meet with God's presence. That's what will change things. That's what will give hope where there's hopelessness. That's what will bring communities back together. God's presence is what we need. It reminded me of a story I read about the Hebrides back in the 1940s. And, you know, loads of people were out at this uh, dance hall, probably like uh, a club of their day, let's say. And, uh, they were having this dance and it was nearly midnight. And then the, the dance hall started to empty. Like, it wasn't closing. People weren't kicked out. But people were just independently feeling um, just kind of this sense that they, they were needing to leave. And they, they were drawn to this church building. And uh, like crowds and crowds of people had all just spontaneously left the dance hall and gone to this church. And the minister had been drawn there to open the doors up. And God's presence had met with people it, it just in this incredible, tangible way. And that was the start of a revival in the Hebrides, an incredible scene. But you know, any life, any situation, whatever is going on, God's presence makes a difference. And God's presence is what we need. Let me say it a bit more bluntly and a bit more directly. Your life. Your situations, the things that are worrying you, the things that are going on, the things that seem desperate, the, the things that seem good. What you need in all of that, more than anything, is God's presence. You need to meet with the living God. Kerry Weems urges us to refuse to be content with just the knowledge of God. Insist on experiencing his presence. I wonder how you think about being a Christian. Do you think it's, yeah, I'll, I'll learn some things, I might believe some things, I might even do some things. Do we step beyond that and say, actually, I want to experience God first and foremost? My wife Emma, when she first became a Christian, she'd been invited by a friend into, uh, in, into a church meeting. And she'd had conversations with this friend about what God's like, she'd asked some of her questions, she'd heard answers. I don't know if they were fully satisfactory for her, but she agreed to go to a meeting. And it was during a time of worship. And she just had this overwhelming sense of the presence of God. And then she started laughing. Uh, and as she tells the story, she, she said, I was laughing because I thought it was hilarious that God actually does exist. I just couldn't get over that. And then for the next few weeks, I just couldn't stop laughing because God really does exist. It's amazing. And she gave her life to Jesus in that meeting. David's dream was of this building that would make it easy, a place where people could meet with the presence 
of God. And he wanted it there and then. Now, I can imagine he was a bit disappointed when Nathan came and said, well, no, you can't have it. You can't build it now. And what I love about David is his persistence. Because if I'd have had this great dream and then God had said, actually, no, I might have had a bit of a huff. I might have sulked about it. I must have said, fine, God, bin the whole thing off. You know, call Solomon if you want to call Solomon. But, you know, I'm, I'm out of here. But that wasn't David's attitude. David's attitude was, well, I might not be able to have it, but they can. And he was thinking about those who were coming after him. And he's like, well, if I can't build it for my generation, as sure as anything wants to help the next generation have this temple. He wanted to leave something good when he was gone. And that thing was the place of the presence. So let me encourage you to ask this question. In, in the year that I've got, in the nine months that I've got in the house that I live in, what can I do so that people meet with God's presence and go on meeting with God's presence when I'm gone? In the three years on my course, what can I do so people meet with the presence of God and go on doing so when I'm gone? In the five, ten years, however long I'm in Manchester, what can I do in this place so that people meet with God and go on meeting with God when I'm gone? In the 70, 80, 90 years, however many I've got on this earth, what can I do so that when I'm gone, people meet with God? Well, David, uh, quickly here, David had three things that he gave to Solomon. One was vision. 1 Chronicles 28, verse 2. This is 20 years later. It says, Then King David rose to his feet and said, Hear me, my brothers and my people. I had it in my heart to build a house of rest for the ark of the covenant of my Lord and for the footstool of our God. 20 years later, he not forgot it. He's sharing the vision. He's telling people the time's coming for this thing to be built. And he's reminding them of the dream. David had lived this out. His whole life had been lived longing for the presence of God. In the Psalms, he'd say things like, better is one day in your house, God, than a thousand elsewhere. He loved the presence of God. And now he's passing that vision on. In 1971, the first Disneyland theme park opened. And this was sadly five years after Walt Disney passed away. He died in 66, and the theme park wasn't opened until 1971. But the grand opening of this Disney park, someone turned to Mrs. Disney, Walt's widow, and said to her, isn't it a shame that Walt didn't live to see this? And she said that he did see it. That's why it's here. And there's something like that with David. Like Walt Disney had the vision, he had the idea. And he passed that on and so it came to pass. So David had this vision from God and he passed it on. When we're talking about vision, we're not always talking about you have to have an original idea. We're not saying you need to come up with something that nobody's ever thought of before. All we're saying is this. Get a sense of what God's doing. Get a sense of where God's leading. Get caught up in vision. I think of it a bit like a relay race. Receive the baton from those who've gone before, from those who've seen God working and know where God's leading. Receive the baton and then pass the baton on. Share vision with others. Secondly, the thing that David passed on was opportunity. So a bit of background, we're 20 years on. In the first instance, Solomon hadn't even been born. So now he's a young guy. He's probably in his late teens. 
And yet David gives him the opportunity to do something important. 1 Chronicles 22 verse 6 says, Then he called for Solomon his son and charged him to build a house for the Lord, the God of Israel. I don't know if you remember back in the 90s, there was a football pundit who, uh, who said the phrase, you can't win anything with kids. Uh, and then got ridiculed after Manchester United's class of 92 went and won everything. Beckham, Neville, Scholes, and all that. Well, in the kingdom of God, it is false to say you can't win anything with kids. God always seems to work with kids. He always seems to work with young people. And Solomon here is a young guy. When we started this series, we saw David as a shepherd boy, 15 years old, in the field, completely overlooked and completely ignored. And we saw that it wasn't God's way to leave him on the edge, but to draw him in. And we see now that David's learned from that. He's not going to overlook Solomon in the way he was overlooked himself. One thing I love about Christchurch Manchester is it's a place of opportunities and it's a place of help. We, we want to invite you, all of you, to step up and get involved in what's going on here. We don't want to be a church where only old people get to do stuff. To leave something great when you're gone, get involved, but then think over my shoulder, who's next? Who can I draw into this? Who can I get alongside to get involved here? Paul once wrote to Timothy, all the stuff Jesus taught me, I've taught you, Timothy. Now find a bunch of other people and teach the same stuff to them. That's how the kingdom works. Thirdly, David passed on resources. He didn't just talk a big game, but he put his money where his mouth is. Chapter 29 of 1 Chronicles, we see it. Firstly, he's giving himself. Verse 2 says, So I've provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. The gold for the things of gold, the silver for the things of silver, and the bronze for the things of bronze, and the iron for the things of iron, and the wood for the things of wood. Besides, great quantities of onyx and stones for setting, antimony, coloured stones, all sorts of precious stones and marble. I mean, he was rich, obviously, but he gave a whole tonne of his own finance towards it. He also encouraged the leaders of the people to give. Verse 6, Then the leaders of the father's houses made their freewill offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, and the officers over the king's work. And verse 9, he inspired everybody to give. It says, The people rejoiced because they'd given willingly, for with a whole heart they'd offered freely to the Lord. One of the very best ways you can make sure you leave something good when you're gone, is in how you use your resources. Before coming to Manchester, we lived in London. We were part of a church down there, a really good church. And as we were preparing to leave, the church took a special offering. And this special offering was about this new facility that they wanted to meet in, do worship services in, and help people meet with the presence of God in. But they needed a bit of money to kit the place out in a way that would make it fit for purpose. So there was a special offering and at that moment we've got a choice to make because you know you know we kind of one foot in Manchester we're we're preparing to make that move so we have to decide how we respond to that special offering do we say look we'll just give it a miss this time we're, we're on our way out you know we've got some money we'll find something in Manchester to give the money to we'll use it for what we're about to do but that wasn't our attitude at all we said well, actually we won't be here, but when we're gone, we want people to meet with God here in London. So we want to give into this offering. We want to be generous. We want to make a difference in this place, even though we won't be there ourselves. That was David's 
attitude. When I think about our church, Christ Church Manchester, we're here, this whole thing works because people have done what David did and generously used their resources to create something good. I'd, I'd encourage you to consider doing likewise in regular giving. But David had this vision for God's presence and Jesus had the same vision. He, he spoke about it as the kingdom of God. He knew he'd be walking the earth for, for three years before he'd go to Jerusalem. He'd die, he'd rise again and ascend back to heaven. But, but he knew he wanted to leave something good when he was gone. So he got the 12 disciples and he invested in them. He got them caught up in the same vision that he'd been living for. He gave them the opportunities. He didn't just go to every town and village himself. He sent them two by two and said, do what I've been doing. Preach the kingdom, heal the sick, cast out evil spirits. The, the exact same thing that then after he'd ascended, he'd send them into the whole world to do. And he resourced them with everything they need. In fact, he poured out his Holy Spirit upon them to give them what they need for the job. Returning to David's story then, how did it all finish? 2 Chronicles chapter 7 Verse 1, Solomon's built the temple now. He's prayed to dedicate it. And it says, as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. David's vision has been fulfilled. And by now, he's gone. He's died by this point. But like an old man who's planting a tree, whose shade he would never sit under. David left something really good when he was gone. So I want you to think about where you are right now. Think about all the places, your, your college, your house, your work situation, whatever it may be. I want you to just start dreaming of what they could be. And then use the time that you have, however long that will be, to make sure you leave something good when you're gone. That you leave something of the presence of God.